This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with longtime friend. If if you've ever seen me speak and it irritates you, you can blame this person because she gave me my first speaking gig back how long ago? Was oh, my goodness. About 30 years ago. Yeah. So uh, Judy Bratt is my guest today. Judy Bratt of Summit Insight. Judy, welcome back to the show. Mark, it's a pleasure to be back. It's been a little too long, but we won't go there. So tell people who you are and what you do, please. Sure. For over 32 years, I've been an expert in helping business owners connect with federal buyers that they are meant to serve. That simple. Okay. If you want to keep it that simple, that's fine. Uh, SummitInsight.com is the website, yes? It is. And also GrowFedBiz.com. Even better, GrowFedBiz.com. If you want to grow your federal business, that's what we're all about. Okay, cool. So we're going to talk about a number of things today, but we're we're going to start with what you call opportunity illusion. What do you mean by that? And uh, um, we'll take it there. Sure. Well, back when you and I met, which I'm going to use real numbers, uh, back in 1988 when I first came to Washington, D.C. and I was working at the Canadian Embassy, opportunities were published in the Commerce Business Daily. Some of you are old enough to remember what that was, Department published by the Department of Commerce, came out daily on tissue paper with two-point type, which is the reason why I wear corrective eyewear now. And if you didn't see it there or pinned on the bulletin board outside the the office on the wall in Pax River Naval Air Station, those were your choices to find opportunities. Fast forward 30 years, and we've got the federal procurement data system. We've got all of the paid databases. I've hesitate to name one because I can't, not going to name them all places. You've got procurement technical assistance centers. You've got all, we're awash in data about opportunities. In theory, it's never been easier for somebody to find business opportunities. In theory. In theory. And yet I was just gobsmacked to see the data that came uh, out last year saying that there are 38% Fewer small businesses, I think it's 32%, fewer small businesses now serving the federal government than there were in 2009. For something like 42,000 small businesses have exited the market. So what? why is it so hard? And so mm. I why, look, why, why does that surprise you? I mean, you know. Oh, it, it doesn't surprise me, um, but it appalls me. And I was talking to Bill Jaffe, Vice Pre- um, Executive Vice President of TAPE. Service Disabled Veteran Company in Virginia. He's been in the, at this a long time as well. And we were mulling this. And he agreed with my guess that about 80% of certainly the small businesses and probably possibly all in the market, when they're looking at this wash of data, are asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. They're looking at all this data. They're saying, what can I bid? The ones who are successful... Ever, ever gone, you, you and I are both wearing glasses. We've been to the eye doctor. You know, you sit in front of the thing and they flip all the lenses in front of you. And you go, nope, nope, nope. And suddenly they flip it over and you see clearly. 
You've had that experience. It just oh, yeah. feels good. Times. You kind of go, oh, yes. <clears throat> you have that feeling in the federal market. The, t- the lens you flip over is when you stop asking, what can I bid? And go, who is my buyer? It moves your thought. That starts to move your thought process way upstream. And you start thinking, you start reading, whether it's an opportunity notice, an award notice, past contract data, and you start looking at who are the humans? Who are your federal humans, your players at all the layers who are involved in buying or needing things like what I do? When you start thinking that way, that's shifting your focus and your relationship building and all your marketing activity a lot further upstream before requirements hit the street. And that is the start of the sharp part of the curve, the success curve people want to be on. Well, yeah, the the three R's have always been relationships, research, and resources. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't I don't know that I'd put relationships first. I'd probably put research mm-hmm. first. I agree. Because people uh, – I think the main reason companies fail or leave the market is their expectations are extremely high, inflated – when they get here Mm -hmm. and they find the market way too obtuse to uh, make a quick hit. And a lot of companies want that quick hit. Exactly. Data shows that companies spend anywhere from 30,000, that's three zero to $233,000 on business development in the course of a 12 month period on the road to a win. Now, if you're going to spend that money anyway, whether that's if you're in the federal market and you're serious, whether that's a combination of cash and sweat equity. So you're either going to pull the money out of your front pocket or it's going to get sucked out of your back pocket when you're not looking. So you want to make sh- make really conscious choices about how you're spending your time and your money. When you And people are flooded with small business events and databases and opportunity feeds, and you can spend your time and money all over the place. But when you do the research first and you focus on just a few agencies, offices, programs, then you are on the track to be able to go deep and actually build relationships with the players at all the layers that you need to meet. And that's when you start to have a hope of getting traction. You're absolutely right. Research has to come first because relationships all over the where lead to the phenomenon of card collecting, lack of focus. You have no real intimacy. People go, I can't afford to just talk to a few people. Actually, you can't afford to talk to as many as a lot of people are probably talking to now. Okay. So what's your advice on uh, how to get in front of the buyers and influencers? One of the easiest ways is probably accessible from right where you're sitting if you're in front of your computer. And that is once you've done your research, there's – Five different tools that I suggest that people can tap into when they want to go and pinpoint and really see what the right contacts are doing. You, once, you've tie, once you've located, started to pinpoint who it is that buys what you do, I agree with you that LinkedIn is one of the single most underutilized and most powerful tools that people can use to see who your buyers are, who they're connected with, what they're reading what they're sharing, what they're watching. And sometimes they're going to just simply watch what you're doing and posting and sharing. Sometimes they will connect with you. 
Other times they won't. Um, but le- raising awareness that you are smart, well-informed, friendly by being in a place like LinkedIn where they can watch you without necessarily directly engaging, low risk, but they can start to decide that you're somebody maybe they want to trust. So that's one is awareness on social. Another can be, if you choose carefully, a small business event, especially when the, uh, somebody from the end user or the program or the leadership of a program that you know is a good fit for you, where they're showing up. That's, that's another one. A small third one, a small business specialist can be helpful to you, but the more research that you've done, the more helpful they're going to be. It may seem backward, but when you go to a small business specialist and say, hi, I'm a service disabled, veteran owned, woman owned business in a hub zone, who should I be talking to? That is not going to get you as far as, hey, Here's the research I've done, and I can see these are these 15 people in this agency with these job titles are involved in what I do. If I've tried these three, had trouble getting through, if you were me, where would you start? That's a whole different ballgame. And so the more research you've done, the more people are willing to help you get through. So those are some pieces, but being able to have the conversation way <clears throat> before the requirement hits the street when you're talking to somebody in the organization – when, when, let's go back just a sec. Mm-hmm. When you say small business specialist, are you talking to PTAC and Ozdabu? Ozdabus. And that's, Particularly okay. the Ozdabu. So the small business specialist in the agency, in that job um, that's got responsibility for, is carrying responsibility for the agency's good faith efforts and also responsibility for helping small business owners. Okay. And for those of you who are not conversant, the Ozdabu is the in-agency small business liaison person for smalls coming into that agency. Right. I'd say that there are five players and layers in any federal agency where you want to do business that you've got to be aware of and your interaction is going to be quite different with each of them, but each of them can play a role. Contracting officer who has a power that almost no one else has, the ability to sign a legal document binding your company to the government of the United States. Contracting officer. Second, small business specialist. They are almost never your buyer. You've really got to pay attention to that. Third, the end user. And that's a very broad bucket that includes people in the um, just in the trenches dealing with your products and services every day to program managers to the bridge person to contracting, the contracting officer's technical representative. You have the stakeholder who is almost never your buyer. They are the base commander. They're the secretary of the agency. They're the one you get, as my friend Eileen Kent says, tied to the stake and tarred and feathered if things go badly. So think of that when you think about stakeholder. And you got the prime. So stakeholder, prime, contracting officer, end user, small business specialist. All of them, you've got to know who they are and know what kinds of conversations to have with them so that you can position yourself to have them help you get in position so you can make it easy for them to choose you and at your price. Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Judy Bratt of Summit Insight. You can find Judy on LinkedIn, last name B-R-A-D-T, 
And you can find what's the other uh, grow, website you want to Grow click? Fed Biz, real easy. Grow your federal business, growfedbiz.com. Okay. So um, let, let's continue with the, uh, the idea of the, the relationships. And there are a ton of events. Uh, probably the, the granddaddy of them is now called the Government Procurement Conference. Used to be the Ozdabu Conference. You referenced Ozdabu's in the last segment. Um, but this will be the 30th year for the uh, – and, and you can find it. You can just look up Government Procurement Conference or you can go to fbcinc.com and look for it there because they produce it in conjunction with a lot of the small business. But this event will, uh, for those that attend, allow you to meet with agency officials and with the small business liaison officers of major prime contractors. Um, so, and, and um, Judy, picking, I mean, it, that that event is one of several. AFCIA does a lot of these as well. Um, but um, the value, I think, is is mixed. So, what what do companies need to do to before they go to one of these? Before they pick one of these? Before you go, in particular, to an event where there is matchmaking. And matchmaking is the single biggest piece of catnip that attracts companies to come to an event. Will there be matchmaking? Well, to apply in advance so you get the information in advance about who you are at least most likely to be meeting with and know what other companies are going to be there so that in case a space opens up and you have an impromptu chance for a meeting, you have at least 50-50 odds of being moderately prepared for a conversation that you didn't do deep research on. First. Second, know where you fit with what the person you're meeting with does or consumes or has a mission for. And in a large company like BAE or Northrop Grumman, be able to know what division of the company the person you're meeting with represents. And if you're meeting with a person from intelligence and security systems and what you do actually relates to human resources development, then Come being able come with a specific ask. You the the supplier diversity folks from the large primes, uh, they talk to each other, but it's not their job to sort out where you fit. So have a specific objective in mind. Know how the company or the organization or the agency is organized. Come having done some research on where recently they've purchased products or services or have requirements or missions that fit what you do, and show your work like you had to do in grade school in math class. Say, hey, I've, I've seen these things in this program. <clears throat> if you're going to a Homeland Security vendor outreach matchmaking, for example, l- run a highlighter through the items of the, their forecast and say, I'm interested in these three programs, for example. So be specific and somebody can help point you in the right direction. You have an outcome you want from matchmaking and it's not, who wants my stuff? But have a sp- one or two specific objectives in mind, a program that you can serve and getting advice on specific people that you want to meet with and or possibly even some feedback or somebody who can give you feedback on a capability statement. And so whatever ask you have, be prepared to follow up. If you've shown you've done homework and have a specific outcome in mind, odds are good that there's going to be at least one commitment on both sides of the table to do something afterward. Do your job. Do your follow-up. 
afterward. So all of those things are going to make a big difference on whether your matchmaking is successful. If you have a fishing trip and you say or and you're saying please feed me, you've just wasted everybody's time and take up taken up the place that another company could actually have used to good effect. Okay. So again, there there are a number of these events. The agency does sponsor some, but usually it's the small business people in the agencies working with a company like FBC or with an organization like AFSIA mm-hmm. that produces a large one. So AFSIA, F, uh, the the government procurement conferences every spring, April this year, mm-hmm. uh, AFSIA does a huge thing mm-hmm. with Belvoir. There's a couple, another, uh, there's a lot of organizations that do it. I also have had some good experiences over the last year or so with Contract Ready. Um, and so they've got events that are coming up at uh, Aberdeen, in Huntsville. Um, so check out contractready.org, as well as another example. FBC does a lot of tabletop shows right across the country, and sometimes a tabletop show that is a small, relatively low-key event, but they're right in the agency, inside the gate, inside the building, where you've, your research shows you need to build relationships. Sometimes that can be either a good instead of or a good follow-on to the great big event in the spring. Yes, I, I, I agree. Being in front of the people on their site, you know, you go to a place like Denver and mm-hmm. FBC does a number of events there. Uh, Denver Federal Center has mm-hmm. 40 or 50 agencies in one large campus. Right. And, uh, you know. And General Services Administration is bringing back their conference as well. So take a look for they have G, if you Google GSA and FAST. That is, uh, I think it's something like Federal Acquisition Systems Training or something like that. But that conference is also going to be held this year. So worth taking a look at. Um, they haven't done it for a number, but that's going to be big too. Okay. So um, so from from there, you're, you're, again, you're, you're going to meet the small, uh, small business officers of the agencies. You're also going to meet the small business liaison officers for the primes that are there. Mm-hmm. So um, meeting with the primes is in, in, in a way similar to the Ostaboos, but they're usually uh, a tougher nut to crack. So what are they looking for? They'll tell you right up front that they want to say, do your homework. And this is the point where everyone who's listening starts to roll their eyes because if they hear that one more time, they're going to simply stop listening. Do your homework is very specific, and the first thing is understand how the organization you're meeting with is organized and whether or not they buy what it is that you do or what part of the organization does. Next, understand. come bringing an opportunity, not just something that you found on contract opportunities, the former Fed biz ops, but ideally something where you've been in the agency you have a few relationships. Maybe you've done a little micro-purchase or a small job. Somebody loves you. The difference, it's the difference between saying, hi, um, I think that maybe I'd like to be on, some, on your team at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, or saying, hi, we've just been over to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, and they say they're going to die if they don't have what we've got, want to talk. That's seductive. That, you come bringing opportunity that will always get you a meeting. They don't expect you the large – the large primes are hungry for even small scraps of things. 
So if you come bringing a small opportunity that you can win together and you have some customer intimacy, that catapults you up to the top. Come with a realistic expectation that you're going to have to work to help bring in and win the business. Don't expect to be fed. And come with some experience, perhaps teaming or subcontracting with smaller organizations if you want to meet with a large prime. A supplier diversity lead from a large prime I won't name said to me flat out, don't come to me. I'm not going to be your first rodeo. So don't bother coming to me if you haven't teamed and shown that you've teamed successfully with someone else first. And so be able, you want to show that you're the low risk choice. So that means you're targeted. You show that you've solved their problem for someone who looks just like them yesterday afternoon. And there's somebody who can hardly wait to have you involved again. And finally, Follow up, follow up, follow up. There are minor things that I was at a conference recently where the small business, uh, the supplier diversity lead from the large prime said, and don't come to me with your yahoo.com or your AOL email address. And she looked at me and she said, yep, people still do that. And so literally dress for success. And that includes your electronic collateral. You want to make sure your website is current and up to date. And the stuff on your website aligns with the stuff on your SAM profile. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Take care. Again, another supplier diversity specialist shows up and said, hey, this is not the appointment to show up with the purple hair or whatever it is. No, I'm all about diversity and self-expression. And you also have a lot of different ways that your presence and the way you show up speaks to without saying anything at all to the person you're in front of. So you want to show up dressed appropriately for the occasion so you can make them feel at ease that you understand them and what they're all about. Show that you're going to help them lower the risk, follow the rules, and make them look good. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'll be back with Judy right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm here today with Judy Bratt of Summit Insight. Uh, you can find Judy on LinkedIn, too, so I suggest strongly that uh, that you go there, you reach out. Uh, if this resonates, connect. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit. Uh, we, we talked about meeting with the primes, What uh, and, and um, they don't want to talk to you unless you've already done some uh, work, probably teaming. Uh, so what are some common teaming mistakes? Let's start at the very beginning. One of the things people often ask is, hey, where can I get a teaming agreement? A teaming agreement is not a do-it-yourself thing. Get a lawyer. Don't get a, pull get, something. Get a lawyer with government contracting experience. Thank you very much. I was taking a breath, but that's okay. I don't do yeah. that very often. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you want to find a lawyer, ideally, who's dealt with um, maybe the prime that you're dealing with or certainly companies like yours in the federal space. Um, we get, we get if we're fortunate, we've got health care insurance. We do preventative dentistry. Think about a legal agreement as preventative legal, uh, and it's going to save you an awful lot of time and money and anguish. You need a teaming agreement, and it's got to be unique to you and your partner. Not a DIY gig. It is not do-it-yourself. That There be dragons first. Among the things that you want to make sure is in your teaming agreement is work share. How much work are you going to be doing and what kind of provisions are there that say who's going to do what and how much, whether revenue or percentage of the work, are you supposed to be doing and over what period? The more specific, the better. Is it enforceable? Eh, If you have the 
conversation at first, then at least everybody's intentions are clear. If you're a really small business going with a big one and things aren't happening, your recourse can be pretty limited. It can be frustrating. Even though there's a lot of good intentions among the offices of small and disadvantaged business utilization to monitor, and they have to do both sides, the primes and the agencies, a ton of tracking. It's really mind-blowing on who's doing what kind of subcontracting. There's also so much administration paperwork going on that it really requires a lot of strong relationship and good faith that will get you further than chasing someone and whining that you didn't get your work share, which takes me to the third piece. Don't just expect to be fed, especially if you are on a, you're on a team for an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract, an IDIQ, uh, a GWAC, a, a big vehicle that's <clears throat> going to be open jaw for a long time. Expect to do your share of the work to bring in the business. Don't just sit there and expect to be fed and expect for the phone to ring. Be looking for ways and make sure that that agreement is set up so that your job is not to stay in the dark and never set foot in or sit, see, sit, be eyeball to eyeball with your federal buyer. Sometimes that teaming agreement can say you're going to sit in your cube and perform stuff and you're not allowed to show up on site. Make sure that that's not what your agreement says, which takes me to the fourth thing. Read things before you sign them. Read things before you sign them and then go to your lawyer and read the things with your lawyer. If you read them first, you will save a lot of run rate on the clock with your lawyer. And do, and just because a large prime gives you a teaming agreement with a lot of stuff in it, and odds are good that you're going to be signing their agreement rather than them signing yours, just because it's there doesn't necessarily mean you have to sign it. You have, do need to know the difference between a clause that flows down from the FARs or the DFARs and is mandatory in that teaming agreement or subcontract, and something that is there just because the prime wants it there. So be prepared to negotiate, which is, again, why you want a lawyer. Because, honestly, sometimes this stuff can be intimidating, but a good lawyer is going to be your advocate and stand up for you being treated fairly. Is comes back to where we started our conversation at the top. Gee, is this a hard game for small businesses? Yeah, it is. People say, what are you spending that 30000 to $233,000 on? This is part of what it is, making sure that if you're in the game and you're investing in developing business, that you get the return on that investment. So some of that is protecting your interests. So there's a lot of ways that even very small businesses can do business, but on the larger contracts, you're going to invest in order to get that return. Yeah, and and the the reason we're going over this, there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of well-meaning but simplistic articles that go out in major business publications saying how attractive. The government market is six hundred billion dollars a year. You know this. This is the end of the rainbow, and we're where the pot of gold is. And while while they are often well meaning, they are extremely misleading. Uh, but on top of that, there are companies out there that that propagate myths in order to bring you in and suck your wallet dry and leave you high and dry. Um, so that being said. Mm-hmm. Um, I I knew you would be loath to go there, but I'm not. Uh, I am not loath to go there, and I'm. If you open that up, I'm going to follow you, and I'm I'm going to say this. There are some people who say, "Oh, I'm going to start as a subcontractor to the one of the big primes," and going, "Really? And who's going to feed you?" So, being you, you, even the smallest business, if you start small, and you are persistent. You think about my challenge to anyone who's listening, whether you're looking for your first federal contract or your next one in a new agency, what could you do for less than $10,000? 
And you know why I'm asking, Mark, because if you can do something for less than $10,000, not only can somebody pay you on a credit card in 24 hours after you deliver. Yep, that's charge card. That's right. Government purchase card. But you know what you have? Three, two, one. You got it. You have past performance. I can say that I have done business with the Department of Homeland Security, Citizenship, and Immigration Services. The fact that it's a $2,500 contract does not matter. I asked my point of contact, can I put the list DHS and in part of my past performance? He says, absolutely, you did a great job. And that opens doors. So don't write off the small stuff because then that shows that you can be trusted and you can build on that. So you don't have to do the big, hairy, teamy thing. Be sure to also establish some of your own credibility, even as a small prime doing small things. It opens doors. Yeah, and so let's let's pursue this in, in a slightly different way. So a company decides they want to come in. They see all of the opportunities on these bid board things, uh, and they just start chonking out paperwork. Mm-hmm. So if... You see this perfect opportunity on contract opportunities online or it lands in your inbox or a well-meaning friend sends this to you and there's less than 30 days to go and you don't know the buyer and you don't know the budget and you don't know the incumbent and you don't know the history. Your odds of winning are in the single digits. Understand that. I've talked to plenty of people who say, I just want to throw my cap over the wall. It's a very expensive cap to throw over the wall. Your costs can be well over $65,000 in cash development and sweat equity. And out of that, you might get nothing. So you need to think about what, how many proposals, write it down. How many proposals did you do last year? How many did you win? Do the math. What is your win rate now? If that's a number you don't have, it's a number that you need to know, and it's a metric you need to commit to moving. Now, if you look at that expense, and I'm talking about cash and sweat equity, and hey, did you lose a couple of your good people because they got burned out because of constant losses and stress, and you were not at your best as the business owner if you're losing and losing and losing and your money is going out and you're not getting the stuff in. You're not creating a culture of success. You're creating a culture of stress. You're going to lose your good people. So you look at all all of what that proposal effort cost you last year. And what if your win rate was not what you wanted? Doing what you always did will get you what you always got. So what if you take half or a third of those resources, repurpose those into building relationships earlier so that you are not writing novels for strangers. You're writing proposals to people who already know you, people you've talked to before that requirements come out and gotten to know them well enough so that by the time you get a shot, maybe you don't win, but they're going to coach you through the next time and you're going to get closer to the wins that you really want. That makes the difference between proposal treadmill, and I haven't come up for a cute name for, I guess I have, proposal uh, proposal fast lane. Okay, proposal fast lane. We're going to go ahead and take our break now, and when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about two more things to, to wrap up. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Judy to wrap up right after this. 
When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Judy Bratt of Summit Insight. You can find Judy on growfedbiz.com. And, uh, oh, uh, new book is this is out, right? It's um, on Amazon. You can get government contracts made easier. Launches uh, is in the near future, but you can grab one right now. Look for the second edition with the tan cover and good-looking people on the cover who are not me. So, second edition, okay? Right. So um, that that's the important thing. Uh, don't buy the – well, you can buy the first one. still good. This one's better. Um, about, uh, I don't know, less than a year ago, you called and said, you know, what are you getting out of that association that you belong to? Well, I'm on the small business committee of AFSCA, the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association. Uh, I don't join things unless I am going to participate. So I haven't joined a lot of associations over the, well, I've joined several. I just haven't stayed. Uh, in all of them. Um, but that being said, uh, getting things, picking the right associations and getting good stuff out of it is is absolutely key. So um, what's your criteria for for selecting a an association? I know one of them is vetting it ahead of time. Absolutely right. Before you join an association, there are very few places that won't <clears throat> let you come to one or two meetings as a guest. Pay attention to your entire experience that you have. Do a little research ahead of time. Let If there's somebody that you know who's already there, and you're usually probably joining a place where you know somebody, let them know in advance you're going to be there. See who the membership person is. Be ready to talk to people there about their experience and the value they get for participating. If you're having a lousy experience on the date, getting married often doesn't make it better. So pay attention to that early courting experience because most associations do want qualified new members who are a good fit. So try it out. Try before you buy. Go right, to one can, or two meetings. Yeah, you can go to events and Absolutely. see how people Usually are doing. there's very little difference um, <clears throat> for a vi- event as a first-time visitor. You may pay up a few bucks premium for the ticket to the event, but that's about it. And then think afterward. Pay attention. Have a specific objective, but when you're looking at what associations should I belong to, first of all, the average small business, probably you have only the resources to participate in about no more than three. And here's why I say this. You oh, I got more money than that. It's not about money. Listen carefully. The value you get from participating in an association comes not from paying your fees, but from paying your dues. I'm going to say that again. Not from paying your fees, but from paying your dues. You have probably no more than three associations where you have enough time to show up, to contribute, to figure out where in this association can I contribute to their goals in a way that's also aligned with mine and we can all move forward together. When you do make the commitment, also to to the association, make the commitment to yourself to assess annually before you put out the check again for the renewal. What was I supposed to get? What was my goal in being here? How did this organization contribute to my objectives. 
about three or four years ago, I made a commitment to the National Veteran Small Business Coalition. Scott Deniston, Scott Semple, they needed somebody to host a monthly business boot camp in the front of their business meeting at the Keybridge Marriott. And I love to teach business education, and it was a great opportunity to uh, serve the veteran community as well. And Scott's a great advocate for it. He sure is, both of the Scots. And it turned out to be one of the best moves that I made. I've helped other people be successful. I've encouraged my clients, both veteran and non-veteran, to join. One of them had just won a $100,000 project together, a veteran, one of my other clients, and um, and a veteran business owner. So I helped contribute to their uh, their businesses and mine. There's another one where I keep being lured back, and after 10 years, I made my annual plan for this year, and I looked at all the things I was doing, and I got to the end of the plan. and went, wait, this association isn't on my list anywhere. What does that tell me? It wasn't even on the top of my mind. All right, they have a particular service they provide. I'm going to pay my money to get that service, but I'm not going to get my socks in a twist over going to all of their events and conferences. Clearly not. And so I asked you that question about AFSIA Small Business, Mm -hmm. and that required me to step up. I had to invest in a corporate membership, not an individual membership. I had to apply. I asked two or three other people, not just you, about the value for membership. I I, I assumed you would, yeah. I did, and I decided it was worthwhile. And and I couldn't get to my first meeting. I had another event that was planned. I made more good connections and conversations, renewed relationships and made new ones at the first meeting of that committee than I had in three years at another association. And the same thing happened again at the December meeting. I can hardly wait for the January meeting next week. Well, I got news for you. You know, it's a heck of a lot closer for you to go than for me to go. So I'm usually attending via phone. I know. Um, Cause, uh, cause you know, that it, it meets in the afternoon once a month, and it's way deep in Virginia from my point of view. Exactly. So we're talking a half-day drive time. And, international, some, some, and location is also important. For example, Society of American Military Engineers, that's a national Sammy, but yeah. chapter-based, Sammy, yeah. chapter-based organization. And I am looking and stepping, in, stepping up involvement there. One of my clients had introduced me to the executive director in the, um, in the fall, and we got along like a house on fire. And he said, I think you can be helpful for us. And so that's another conversation that I'm looking forward to. They've got an annual conference, but as well, they've got individual chapters. So when you're looking at an association, look at where you're going to physically show up and what opportunities it gives you. If you have business in more than one part of the country, is it going to offer you another place or a home base when you travel? And finally, look at the associations where your prospects are not just where your competitors are. And if you're not sure, then ask your customers and your buyers. If you only had one event where, or conference or association where you spent time or paid attention, which would it be? So that's, start with that. Where are your buyers showing up, not just your competitors? Okay. We're going to wrap up with a different topic, and we only have a couple of minutes to do this. And this literally could be a show all by itself, but we're going to talk briefly about uh, surviving and thriving in the face of best-in-class contracts, of which there are 16, uh, IDIQs and GWACs, and category management. I think we're going to jettison category management and focus on the best-in-class. So uh, the, the, the big complaint is, um, yes, each of the best-in-class contracts has small business slots, but uh, because they are now best in class and technically preferred vehicles, 
uh, the number of small businesses that actually participate is a small percentage of the overall small biz community. How do you how do you uh, uh, survive and thrive there? This is a great place to wrap because it takes us right back to where we started. Big R number one is research. I want you to contract vehicles. And again, a big shout out to Eileen Kent, who has a marvelous analogy. Think about a contract vehicle, not as something that drives business your way, but instead envision a bridge. A contract vehicle is a bridge between buyer and seller. And in between is this raging river of rules that constitutes that big, hairy, open competition that takes tons of time and money. So a contract vehicle is a bridge over the big, hairy, single competition. So your buyer has a lot of choices for bridges, and the BIC vehicles are clearly a preferred way to get from buyer to seller. And so you might not own your own bridge. You might need to borrow someone else's bridge, and you're going to pay a toll to cross that bridge between buyer and seller. That's the margin you're going to pay as a subcontractor or teaming partner. Research is going to show you every time what are the ways that the people that you want to serve like to do business. So you're not going to show up talking about Seaport E when you're in front of the Department of the Interior or Homeland Security. Could they use it? Yeah. Do they ever? Do they want to? Nope. They've got a different way. Data shows you how they actually do business. So when you approach them, remember, they care about three things. How can I follow the rules? That's including the FAR and agency guidance and what VIX to use. How can I make it easy? And how can you make me look good? Those three things. And so being able to show up to a meeting and say, hey, I see that you like to do business through Eagle 2 and VETS 2, and we're a prime on VETS 2, and we're a subcontractor to these three folks on Eagle 2. And we can also we also have a BPA that you could use. What would you like? What's easiest for you? So show up having done the research, understand how the agency behaves. So remember, you're there to serve them as a vendor. You're, they're not there to serve you. While FAR Part 19 starts out by saying that the government of the United States aims to achieve certain socioeconomic goals through its federal contracting, that's FAR Part 19, not Part 1 or 3 or 7. So understand that you've got to be ready to do business the way they want to do business. If that means as a small business that you're going to have to be ready to team, then buckle up, Buttercup. You've got to be ready to do the work. Cool. Judy, it's been great. (laughs) It's a trip, Mark, always. Okay. Uh, That's it for today, folks. Uh, This is not my day job. If you need help on the marketing side, particularly building a subject matter expert platform, incorporating content marketing and social selling, uh, and as Judy mentioned earlier, LinkedIn, um, give me a shout, markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. 
to always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.